Go ahead and look again at James chapter 1. I'm going to begin this sermon series that I've entitled uh, Real Faith in a Real World. I want to talk to you about real faith in a real world and tonight specifically about testing, about how it can be a strategy for our growth, testing. Now, there are several probably teachers here with us tonight, people who have taught um, in the university level or maybe the high school or elementary or so there are probably several teachers who any anybody that admit it look at that you see how many folks I, i'm going to tell you too that outside of some ministers in my life i say outside of them really to be honest with you some of the teachers that i've had probably have had greater influence on who i am today than anybody else so it's great to see this number of teachers that we have educators that we have here in this place well, you know, there are different strategies of teaching and, and trying to get your students to learn. One is obviously testing them on what they've known or their knowledge, right? I mean, testing is a strategy. It's a way of helping them learn. Hey, testing always challenged me to buckle down a little more, study a little harder, kind of give myself to the subject a little more so that I could be able to answer the questions on that test. Some of you who are in here, you, you've given tests, and you're noted for that. You have a reputation for your test. I've told this before. I may tell it again tonight. But I was moving here from Zachary, Louisiana. And uh, when I was coming here, some of the folks from Zachary, they were asking me about people at Temple. And, you know, some of them were tech students. So they asked me about different people. And I said, well, you know that the chairman of my committee was Dr. Dwight Anderson, Dr. Anderson. I said, did you know him? And um, the guy that I was talking to is a deacon there at, um, at Zachary. He said, you know, I knew two Dr. Andersons. One professed publicly that he was not a Christian. And the other one didn't act like a Christian. <laughs> and I said, I think this is the one that doesn't act like a Christian. I think that's, that's the way it is. He said, I got you. And what he was referring to was basically the tests that Dr. Anderson would give. And some of you others have reputations like that as well, but it can be a strategy for growth. Testing comes in our lives, and it can be a strategy that God uses to grow us. Let me make some introductory remarks about this book as we look at the first verse or two, and then I want us to plunge into that third and fourth verse, I guess you would say, as we really see what God's intention is for testing in our lives. Look in verse 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now stop there a moment. I don't do a whole lot of background uh, information with you always, but I just want to state here as you read this, what a simple introduction from what, who I believe to be the brother of Christ. There are about Four or five James, it depends on how you enumerate them or how you identify them in the New Testament, about four or five. But most likely, and I'm not going into the whole detail argument, but most likely, we have the brother of James writing this little note. Sorry, brother of Jesus, yes. Writing this little note. Notice it says a bondservant. Now, if, if you had been James, the brother of Jesus... You and I probably would have started this letter a little differently. We'd probably made sure that people knew we were the brother of Jesus. You know, like, 
I am the brother of Jesus. If you have that unique relationship, I mean, it's something you're probably going to use to establish your authority. I am the brother of Jesus, the incarnate word, the, the, the glory of the father, the individual who is over all the universe. He's my brother. But that's not James. James begins very humbly. He says a bondservant. A bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Also to note about this man. When Jesus was alive walking on this earth in, his, in this human flesh before his death, resurrection, this James did not believe in him. Remember? This James did not believe in him, according to John chapter 7, verse 5. And also in Mark chapter 3, it says that the brothers, James, thought that this man, Jesus, was mad, was insane. They thought he was outside of reason. But something had happened. Something had happened in James' life to where he comes and he says, I'm a bondservant. I'm just an individual who wants to serve Jesus himself. What had happened? Well, Paul tells us, 1 Corinthians 15, that Jesus appeared to James in a post-resurrection appearance. Remember? I wonder what that must have been like. I, I don't want to go too outside the bounds of Scripture, I, but I do just like wonder that you see Jesus who had claimed to be the Messiah, who claimed to be the Son of God, your brother, you see him in this post-resurrection experience. Well, some have talked about other post-resurrection appearances uh, where Jesus had spoken to Peter or maybe Jesus had appeared to the 500. And there, Hey, even... Even when Paul, on the road to Damascus, experiences Jesus, it is a dramatic moment. It is a moment of authority, obviously, in Paul's life. But here, I think it had to be just a little different, don't you? His brother. But something in that experience, something in that moment, had turned James to faith. And James had now, he had fully believed. He had fully committed himself to Jesus, not just as his brother. He had committed himself to Jesus as Lord. Notice that in verse 1, that he was the Lord, that he was the Christ. And James, I believe at the time of this writing, he is he's the de facto leader of the Jerusalem church. He is the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. So this is the James we're talking about. And he says, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. He uses that terminology, the 12 tribes, to speak about the Jewish people, but also, I think, particularly about Jewish Christians. As you look at this. Now, through the centuries, through the centuries, the Jews had been dispersed. I mean, when you see how the Assyrians came down and destroyed the northern kingdom... What did the Assyrians do? They basically took the people and they sent them to other regions of the kingdom. They, they tried to assimilate people into their kingdom and somehow break their identity down. 
And then, of course, the Babylonians, 586 B.C., that came in and basically took so many of those of the south over into Babylon. So for years, for years, the Jews had been dispersed. And then, of course, the Jewish Christians, they had experienced the dispersion, especially after the martyrdom of Stephen. If you go back and read the book of Acts and you read that moment, the first martyr of the Christian church, it says that that the believers just scattered. Why? Because they didn't want to stay in Jerusalem. They had seen the persecution that was coming. They had seen now the death of Stephen. So they just moved. They got, they scattered out. So what James does, remember, he's kind of like the pastor here at Jerusalem. The Temple Baptist Church of Jerusalem. He's the pastor. And now he knows all these others who have gone away and they've dispersed throughout the kingdom, throughout the empire itself. Well, we know that. We know that Jews were throughout the empire. Look at the book of Acts again. When the apostle Paul moves into different areas, what does he usually do? He finds a synagogue. That means that there had to be at least 10 men in that town to have a synagogue. So he goes to the synagogue because there were a lot of, a lot of people who traced their lineage to the, to the Jewish ethnicity and religion. So all these people were scattered out. So he writes to them. These are people who are, I mean, they're scattered, they're dispersed. So obviously, they're under some type of stress and pressure. They're not in Israel itself. And notice what he says, greetings. The word there is basically rejoice. It's the infinitive to rejoice. Rejoice. So get this. James writes to a bunch of people that are dispersed, they're all over the kingdom, they're experiencing all types of persecution and trials. We'll see this. I mean, part of it is just because they're Jewish in their ethnicity, but also they're going to experience persecution. The Jewish Christians will experience persecution from their Jewish brothers and sisters. So all this is going on, and what does James say to them? Rejoice. James, you don't live in a real world, man. You know, don't you want to, I mean, there, there have been times you've wanted to say that to people before. Have you not? When people would say, hey, I know this is bad. I know it's difficult. But take joy. You and I, you, you know there have been moments. You didn't say it out loud, maybe, or maybe you did. I know some of you. You don't hold your tongue too often. But you at least thought it. What do you mean, take joy? Do you realize what I'm facing do you realize what's going on in my family right now? Do you realize the diagnosis we just got? And you're telling me to take joy? That's some of that Christian mumbo. And, and I'm a Christian believer, but hey, this is the real world. James writes all about real faith in the real world. He doesn't pull any punches. Look in these next few verses. He says rejoice, but in verse 2 he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. He says, my brothers, he said, I want you to count it. That word count, consider, it's like the leading influence of your life, of my life. It is the guide to something. It is the attitude that we have. Because I want you to see that when you're really talking about trials and tests, it is very important that we have the right attitude and the right acknowledgement in our lives. The right attitude. Attitude can mean so much, can it? 
I mean, it really does. I, I, I love to hear, I love to hear people talk about others who have good attitudes. Sometimes we hear about people who have bad attitudes, right? But isn't it a blessing when you hear somebody talk about this individual that's going through one of the most difficult things that they've ever faced, and yet they have such strength and joy and somehow peace through it? Man, I just love that. It almost just, you're going to think I'm going charismatic on you, but it almost gives me holy goosebumps. You know what I'm talking about? When somebody talks about those people, I think it's awesome to know that there are those who have that attitude. And James says that's the attitude we need to have. The leading influence of our life should be joy. It should be joy. It is the flag that should fly over the heart of every believer. Joy. When I was in... Picayune, I had a deacon come to me one time. He had a family member he was dealing with. He said, Reggie, can a Christian just not have joy? Because this family member I know, they say that they're Christian, but they've never had any joy. Man, that was a tough question. I told him to go ask the music minister. I didn't know. Every believer should have joy. I want you to hear that. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then you know the source of joy. You know the most joyful being in all of the universe. The most joyful being in all of the universe is is God, is Jesus himself. He's the most joyful being. And if we know him, we know joy. Joy is not just always the state or emotion of happiness. There are days emotionally that I am not necessarily happy. But I still got a joy. Because happiness as an emotion is based upon circumstance. Joy as a contentment is based upon the relationship that I have with him. So he says, hey, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. So I've got the right attitude. I've got this contentment about me, this joy, when I fall in to trials. Not if. Did you note that? I went back, even did a little work in the Greek to make sure I was right, make sure this translation was good. I wanted to make sure I could just stand on the authority of Scripture here because this is pretty important, that little word, when. You and I as believers, we need to understand that it's not if a trial will come. It is when a trial will come. It's going to come in our lives. Some of you have already experienced some, and some of us, we're going to experience more. It will come. A trial will come in our lives, a test. The the word for trial here does account for this idea of test. It also accounts for the idea of temptation. I think James will deal with both of these in this first chapter. He'll talk more about the test themselves, and then he'll talk about the temptation. Here in these verses, he's talking more about the test. And he says, it, these things will come, and you, you've got to have the right attitude. You've got to get yourself ready. Any of you play football? Wayne, I know you did. Anybody else? 
John, there are a few of you now, George. A few of you admitting that you did, Ben. That's good. As athletic as I am, I never got to do that. <laughs> never did. But, you know, they used to have this thing. My friends would tell me about this. My, my friends would tell me about this uh, exercise that they would have at practice sometimes. And they would put one guy in the middle and then uh, of, of like a circle. And basically that guy was there and he had to kind of brace himself and get ready because he was going to be hit from one side or the other. Y'all didn't do that in your football? You did it, Wayne, because, yeah, that was real football. You came from Texas, buddy. That's right, right? <laughs> Texas, Mississippi, they play real football in those places. North Mississippi. I say North Mississippi. They, uh, but you would stand there and you'd get ready because you would get hit. You, you had to learn to, to brace yourself because you knew it was coming. You need to learn to brace yourself. Now, listen, don't run around fretting. Don't run around saying, oh, it's going to come today. It's probably it's going to be, if it's not today, it's going to be tomorrow. I don't think I can take the sheets off of my head today. I'll just stay in bed. I didn't tell you to do that. What I want you to do is just brace yourself. Get ready with the joy of Christ in your heart. Prepare yourself. Read the scripture. Pray. Seek him in all kinds of ways. Get ready because it will come. And it says here it will come in various forms, various trials. The word various um, is a word that means like multicolored. Actually, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, this word is used to speak about the multicolored coat of Joseph. So it's kind of like multicolored, variegated. I remember, um, I know some of you sew and, and do things. Uh, when I was uh, probably 10 years old, uh, I was going to the grocery store with my mom. But what she would do is she would take one shopping basket and get her groceries and get her stuff. And I would take another shopping basket and I would get my Aunt Key's stuff. My Aunt Key, my Aunt Kieran, she was about probably, I don't know, she's one of those ladies that's just always old. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> You've met those people. I mean, you never remembered them any other way. They're just old. And uh, she was just like that. And we would take care of her and I would take her basket. And she would always put certain things, bananas and this and this and this. And I would have her list. And I didn't remember the first time she had like, she was a sew. She sewed. She crocheted a lot and did different things. And she wanted me to get some variegated thread. I said, what? I said, what is this? Oh, it's that multicolored, you know, if you go over there, you'll find it somewhere. You know, she just kind of sent me and did my own little thing. I'm telling you, I was 10 years old, just going, doing whatever. Look like, what was that guy in Home Alone when he goes and does the shopping? Probably looked like that a little bit, but I found, I found it. I mean, it was all these different colors, and it was one of the ugliest things I'd ever seen in my life. But anyway, it was this variegated, multicolored little thread that, that was used. You know, I think about that every time I look at this. Because he says, it's going to come, and it's going to come in all kinds of ways. That's what he's saying in that, using that word. Every shape, every form you can think about, every color, every size, get ready, the trial's going to come. The word for trial or test, we get our English word pirate from it. 
when I was studying that, I, I really, I just kind of circled that because I thought that was cool. Because a trial or a test is kind of like a pirate sometimes. Just like you're just sailing by and you think everything's good, and next thing you know, you're ambushed by a pirate. The test comes in many different ways, in many different forms. But our attitude has to be one of joy, contentment in Him. Let me give you this last. That is our acknowledgement. Because this is, this is the reason you have the attitude of joy. is because you acknowledge that what God is doing through the test or trial is actually going to work out for your good and His glory. It's a strategy for your growth, as difficult as it is. Verse 3, knowing. The word means knowing by experience. He says, knowing that the test of your, testing of your faith produces patience. The testing. It's the refining process. It, it's kind of the idea of burning away all of the excess so you can get down to that which is pure and authentic. Isn't it amazing how God will do that in our lives? He'll use a test and a trial just to burn away all the excess and to get down to the authentic and the real. You know, one thing I have against some preachers today is that they never tell believers, those who come and confess Christ, they never tell them that bad days could come. And I'm, I'm going to be honest, in days past, I've been guilty in, in certain moments of just always talking about the good things that will come with following Christ. And I'm afraid that I've convinced people or some of us have convinced folks that all you've got to do is follow Him and you'll never have another problem. But that is so far from the truth. I want them to know that they can face anything with Jesus. And I want them to know that there are great benefits in following Jesus, just as the joy we talked about. But I want people to know that when you follow Jesus authentically, trials and tests will come. Satan's not going to take this lying down. He is going to bring temptation. He is going to bring other... And yes, God allows those things to happen. We could talk about why and we could talk about why certain things happen and all of that. Let me just say to you tonight, just for the brief moment that we have really... Know that God can take anything and everything that Satan comes at you with and he can use it for your good and his glory. That's the Romans 8.28 promise. He can turn it all into something that will mature us and grow us into him. He says this patience, it, it can bring patience or endurance. It, it literally means that you can abide under. That's what that word that's really what that word endurance means, to abide under. So think of this. The weight, the weight that comes on, you abide under. You learn endurance. I really wish I could... There's several of you that um, work out or exercise. Several of you do that in here. Some of you have been athletes. You are athletes. I appreciate that about you. Um, I keep my physical form without exercise. I know that surprises you, but I am able to do it. Um, 
I've, I've thought about giving a little, but, you know, when you exercise, you gain strength. You do. It's kind of like running a race. You don't have endurance just by sitting home and watching the saints on the screen, do you? You have endurance running by running. I know I've got a few that probably run cross-country or did. I mean, we talk about this all the time. Uh, saw Coach Moss the other day. I mean, really, the only way you learn to run is run, right? Endurance. That's how you build up. The way you, are, you learn endurance and strength in your spiritual life is for the tests and trials to come. Now, I'm the first to admit, I don't go out and say, God, I hope you bring me a trial today so I can grow. I do not do that. But I acknowledge that this trial and this test can make me stronger. It can teach me to endure. And notice it says, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You gain your strength so that you can become more complete, more mature. Some years ago, I heard a story about a young man in a biology class, I believe, and he had like this little cocoon. And, and uh, he had decided what he would do is that he would just like cut a little slit. He thought he could tell something was happening there, but he cut a little slit and tried to help the little, what would you call that, larva or so, or caterpillar, whatever you'd call it. I don't know what the scientific thing is. Are any science teachers here tonight? I'm going to empty the money out of this hat, Philip. Would you come and just hold it over Bill's mouth until we finish the rest of the... Oh, my goodness. It's twice. Two strikes right there. But he was trying to help out the little, the little bug. And eventually... He got it out or so, and the bug died. One of the teachers said, hey, don't you know that like the struggle of this bug to, to get out of the cocoon, that that is part of the nature's process of maturing, of strengthening. And you know, for us, the struggle is part of the strengthening process. How many of us know much more the depth of God's love and grace and endurance because we have been through these difficult moments? How we've experienced the depths of His love and the height of His grace when we have gone through these moments. And James says to all of you who've been dispersed, to all of you to all of you, my brothers, who are going through the difficulty of being away from Jerusalem, of being away from this land, of being away from the body of Christ here, those who are going through persecution, he said, let you know, please know that the testing of your faith will produce something of endurance, and that endurance will give way to a perfect, more complete work, maturity. That is the purpose and the result that God intends for his testing. And if you ever needed a model, Jesus himself is the greatest. Because in Hebrews chapter 12, just a little page or so over in your Bible, 
Hebrews chapter 12 says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finish of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus kept going. He endured the cross because of the joy he knew he had in the Father and the joy that was ahead. We keep going. James, well, some years afterwards, but let me just say to you, James was one who practiced what he preached. He'll talk about real faith and talk about real works later. But just know he is one who practiced what he's, he preached. According to Josephus, the historian, James was martyred, was beaten to death because he would not renounce his faith among his Jewish kinsmen. Eusebius actually says they took him up to the pinnacle of the temple, they threw him off, and they beat him with a club. Count it all joy. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Just knowing that the testing of your faith will produce patience, endurance, and that it'll have its perfect work and bring you to completion as God intends for our lives. May God encourage us and bless us as we go through each and every day of our lives. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for this night. Thank you for the richness of your scripture. Thank you for the reality of it. How, yes, we know we go through the trials, and they are not necessarily fun, happy times for us, but we know that we can go through them with the joy that only you give us knowing that we can acknowledge that you've got a greater purpose to work in us. And God, I pray tonight for my friends who are here in this place. Some of them are going through those moments. Some of them, they're about to hit those moments. Lord, help them rejoice in every moment, in every test, in every trial. Lord, grow them and grow me as these things come. We pray it. In Jesus' name, amen.